Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Thank you so much for having me in, and good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning, and I want to, before I go any further, say thank you to all of you that helped in the outreach yesterday. We've got 56 DVDs going out, and that's wonderful, and to Hearts and Homes, tribute to how the Lord opened doors, and then also used your efforts and energies as well. Also, a very special thank you to Brother Shane and Miss Jennifer, a wonderful meal. Uh, we really enjoyed great time of fellowship as well. And we picked up a few sermon illustrations. We'll certainly be sharing at the next church we come to. And uh, we just want to say thank you for opening your hearts and homes up to us. And then, Brother George, thank you for the PT boat. All right. Those are nautical terms. I travel in a motorhome with a trailer 70 feet long. That's an aircraft carrier. And your little car is a PT boat. All right. Boy, can that run corners, brother. Thank you for the use of the vehicle and a great help to us as well. Take your Bibles and go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I do want to remind you that if you have anybody that you'd like to invite to services, uh, if they come as a visitor, we'd like to gift them the video production on the car we travel America with, the Marine Corps vet story, the military vet story. And so if you bring a visitor, be sure to let them know. They'll not only hear a sermon, they'll hear a message from Brother Summerdorf, but we'll gift them the video production on the car we travel America with as well. First John chapter 2, once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably with me, stand with me. I don't know that you have it. First John chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse number 18. First John, near the end of your Bible, if you get to Revelation, you're a little too far. If you're still in Genesis, you're a little uh, not far enough, all right? First John chapter 2 beginning in verse number 18. Begins with these two words. He says, Little children, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, 1 John chapter 2. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Just a little sidebar there, according to those two verses. You cannot be wrong about Jesus Christ and still be right about God. According to those two verses, you cannot be wrong about who Jesus Christ is and still be right about who God is. They're a package deal. Now, look at with me in verse number 24. He says, Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, 
But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. I draw your attention now to verse 28. With the Lord's help, I want to make this our focus, not only this morning, but tonight as well. Where he says, and now, seems to sum it up, little children, look at those next three words. He says, abide in him. Say those three words with me. Abide in him. And notice the reason why, that when he shall appear, and Jesus is coming again. Amen. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. You can make book on it. He's coming again as he promised. Notice, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I'd like to focus today on a thought and a message that I've entitled, How You Can Have Confidence in the Day of Jesus Christ. How to Have Confidence in the Day of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful honor and privilege we have to come to your house, to hear your songs sung, to be ministered to by your spirit, to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, but most of all this morning, we thank you for the honor we have to call you our Father. Thank you for the blood of Calvary. Thank you for the sacrifice of your Son that has enabled us to approach you in such an honorable and blessed way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask your blessing on our time as we consider your desire for us to abide in him. I pray, first of all, we would belong to him. Father, if there's someone here this morning that do not have eternal life, their faith has never found a resting place in the finished work of Calvary. Lord, I pray today would be the day they would see their need for a Savior and trust him. And then, Lord, for each of us that belong to him, help us today to abide in him. Thank you that he is coming soon. Lord, we pray today we would have confidence, not be ashamed at his coming. Teach us and challenge us. Lord, I pray you would help us today not to be hearers of your word only, but doers. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How you can have confidence in the day of Jesus Christ. Just by way of introduction, I notice in verse number 18 that little children are being addressed. And the context of that title is simply this. These are babes in Christ. These are individuals that have just newly been saved. They've just recently come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, been born again, and spiritually they're babes in Christ. And these young believers of everything that the Spirit of God through John could be pointing them toward and challenging them to consider... The most unique thing is John points these new believers to a divine appointment that's approaching for every single one of them. In Romans chapter 14, if you go there, that appointment is noted. In Romans chapter 14, turn there with me. And in Romans chapter 14, we see the appointment John is speaking of, that day when these young believers are going to stand before their Savior and it's referred to in Romans chapter 14, go there with me, it's referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14 is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, as you go through your Bible and you go through the New Testament, you look ahead to future events, you're going to find there's two moments where creation stands before their creator. 
One of those moments is near the end of your Bible in Revelation chapter 20. And that is referred to as the great white throne judgment. The other moment is found in Romans chapter 14 that we just turned to. And that one is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. You need to recognize this morning, those are two completely separate moments. They're not one in the same. And the biggest thing that separates them is the congregants that are gathered before the king. In Romans chapter 14, those who stand before the Lord are Christians. They're believers. And in Revelation chapter 20, those who stand before the Lord are the unsaved. Maybe we could say it this way. All sinners stand before the Lord. Unforgiven sinners in Revelation 20. And forgiven sinners that are now called saints in Romans chapter 14. And what's in the balance on each of these is two different things. In Revelation chapter 20, what's in the balance is an individual's soul. It says those who were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Wow. No redos. No second chances. Many times yesterday as I would speak to people, I remind them there's a final inspection one day. It's pass or fail. And there's no second chance. And it's an eternal inspection. And Revelation 20 is speaking about those who fail the inspection. They never trusted Christ as Savior. They never received Him. They rejected Him. And they go to a place they never planned to go to. And frankly, they go to a place God never intended to send them. Not for the darkness they accepted, but for the light that they rejected. You know, the good news this morning is this. You don't have to keep that reservation in Revelation 20. Amen? That thing can get canceled out, just like you and I cancel a hotel reservation out and get a full refund. Listen, if you are here this morning and you're without Jesus Christ, that is your judgment that you're approaching. But you don't have to go there. You could trust Him today as Savior. That reservation gets canceled out. Your sin debt gets paid in full. And instead of going to the lake of fire, you go to a place called heaven. And let me say this, only a fool would say no. But I've learned that fools exist. The first judgment you find there is in Revelation 20. It's forever. It's the judgment of a sinner who dies without a Savior. But Christian, you and I need to recognize following salvation, though that judgment is now nixed out, we're never going to stand before Jesus Christ and before the Lord and be cast in the lake of fire. You and I need to recognize now a new one has been set up for us. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. Notice here in Romans chapter 14, you say, well, well, if that if my soul is settled now and I don't have to be judged in Revelation, what's in the balance here? It's your service to your king after you're saved. Yes, Notice what's said in Romans chapter 14 in verse number 10. Scripture says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Notice the context is spiritual. These are believers. Why dost thou set it not thy brother? Here's the reminder. For we shall all, every saved individual, man, woman, boy, and girl, shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Watch this now. So then every one of us that are saved will give account of himself to God. Christian, do you understand this morning that there is coming a day you're going to stand before your king 
And you're going to give an account for how you served him after he saved you. He's going to know everything you did. He's going to know everything you said. He's going to know the motivations of your heart and why you did or didn't do what you did or didn't do. And Scripture calls this the judgment seat of Christ. If you want to do an interesting study, go to 1 Corinthians 3. You don't need to do that now. But in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about there's only one foundation that's eternal, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And you know, the day we get saved, we get picked up out of a horrible pit and miry clay, and we get put on that foundation. It's eternal. It passes the test of time and eternity. But then it goes on to say this, but you take heed how you build. When you get on that foundation for the days come that God's going to judge your works and your service of whatever sort they are. And if they pass his scrutiny, you'll receive a reward. But if not, you'll suffer loss. But you yourself shall still be saved yet. So as by fire, quote, unquote. You see, in Romans chapter 14, what's in the balance isn't your soul. No, that got settled at Calvary. What's in the balance is your service. And he's going to scrutinize your and my books of stewardship and service for reward's sake. And in that moment, if you'll go back to 1 John chapter 2, you're going to see, Christian, there's only one of two ways you and I will stand before the Lord in that moment. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28 says this. He says, and now, little children, look at this, abide in him. 1 John 2, 28, that when he shall appear, here it comes. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Amen. Christian, there's only going to be one of two ways we stand before our king. When that day comes where he judges our service to him following salvation, we're either going to stand before him in confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, expecting to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or we're going to stand before him in shame, kicking the ground, embarrassed for what little we did, or even those things we shouldn't have done. And you say, how can I, as a Christian, have confidence in that day? Look at our text, verse 28. Look there, look there. Three little words give us the answer. Those three words are, abide in Him. See that? Say those words with me again. Abide in Him. How can you have confidence, now that you're saved and belong to Him, in the day that Jesus Christ returns... To judge your service to Him. The answer is very simply this. Abide in Him. Now this morning I want to take that thought. Verse 28. I want to take that verse. And I want to frame it with a single question. And the question is this. Why? Why should you and I, now that we belong to Him, why should we choose to abide in Him? And listen, this is important to note. Just because you belong to Him doesn't mean you're abiding in Him. Amen? Now, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're a disciple. You understand that the word disciple, its very root word, is discipline. You can't be a disciple without discipline. This is one of the greatest downfalls of American Christianity, is there's virtually no discipline in our Christianity. Oh, we're saved. Oh, we're going to heaven. But man, we're not disciples. We're just believers. And let me say this very clearly. 
just because you belong to him. And if you're saved, you belong to him. Doesn't mean you're abiding in him. They are two different things. And so this morning, the question is why? Why should you and I, now that we belong to him, why should we desire to abide in him? The Bible gives three very quick answers right here in our text. Look at me in 1 John chapter 2. The first answer is this. The first reason why you and I should choose to abide in him now that we belong to him is because of the deception of our day. Because of the deception of our day. Look in verse 18. He says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now, that's present tense, are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Look up. Christian, do you see here the very first reason why you should choose to abide in him now that you belong to him? is because of the deception of our day. The Bible is very clear. Long before the Antichrist comes in Revelation, the living embodiment of everything wicked, the Bible makes it clear this world is going to be filled with many Antichrists. Antichrist philosophies, Antichrist systems, and Antichrist people. Now, don't let the word Antichrist, you know, you know, mystically wig you out. You know, don't do that. All the word Antichrist means is against Jesus Christ, not for him. Against Jesus Christ, not for him. Look across society today. Look across our nation. Look all across our land. Do you understand that out there in society there are many Antichrists? There are many Antichrists First of all, in our public schools today, there are individuals in place. They are not for Jesus Christ. They are against him. They're not for lifting him up and, and, and promoting his name. Therefore, eliminating even the knowledge of him from the educational system. There are antichrists in our public schools today. There are antichrists in our universities across America today. Almost all of our major universities in America are filled with individuals and philosophies that are not for Jesus Christ. They are against Him. They want to put Him down. They want to eliminate Him. They want to vanquish Him from the knowledge of the campus. There are, in, there are antichrists in our universities across America today. There are antichrists in government today. Shocker. There are individuals in place that are not for Jesus Christ. They are against Him in every way, shape, and form. There are antichrists in Hollywood and our entertainment industry today. Almost every movie that comes off the presses of Hollywood is produced by a, a producer and a staff that they do not want to make Jesus Christ look good. They want to make him look bad. They do not want to give him the preeminence he deserves. They want to eliminate him and remove him from the, the conscience of the public, if you will. There are antichrists in our media today. They are against Jesus Christ. They're not for him. They want to give him a bad report, not a fair and honest one. You with me? And there are even antichrists in our churches today across America. And you and I need to recognize what their goals are. In verse number 22, their goal, their goal is to lie about who he is. In verse number 23, their goal is to deny him his place in the hearts 
and homes and minds of individuals. And in verse 26, they want to deceive and they want to seduce you. And you need to recognize, as you and I step outside of this building, we are stepping into a war zone. Spiritually, there are all kinds of antichrists that have one collective goal. And here's what it is. They want to draw you away from Jesus Christ. That's their goal. George, those Antichrist goals, they, they don't want to push you closer to They want to draw you away from Jesus Christ. You with me? David, they want to draw you away from Jesus Christ. They don't want to push you closer. Now, let's put it in our realm. Mom and Dad, they want to draw our children away from Jesus Christ. They do not want to push them closer to Him. They want to draw them away from Him. And now I'm a grandparent. They want to draw my grandchildren away from you. Miss Carol, that is their goal. They want to draw you. They want to draw children. They want to draw, they want to draw us away from Jesus. That's the collective goal of all those antichrists. And you say, well, how can little old me Stepping out into an arena that's filled with Antichrist. How can I have victory over all them? Three little words. Abide in Him. The very first reason this morning. Christian, you should not be satisfied that you simply belong to Him. But you should desire... To move to a very close relationship and abide in Him is because of all that deception that's out there. Reason number one. Amen? Number one, because of the deception out there. But the second reason that you and I should choose to abide in Him once we belong to Him is because of oftentimes the lack of fruitfulness that resides in here. The lack of fruitfulness that resides in in here, in our own life. Go to John with me. John 15. Jesus Christ directly speaking to the disciples. Go to John chapter 15. Turn there with me. He brings up this abiding thought. In John chapter 15. And verse number 4. Jesus Christ is, speak, Christ is speaking to his disciples. And listen to what the Lord says to his disciples in John 15. And verse number 4, he says this. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Now look at how he says this in verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then listen to how he puts this in context. He says, for without me, ye can do what? Say that word again. Nothing. Nothing. Look up. Here we see the second reason why you and I, once we belong to him, should choose to abide in him. It's not just because of the deception that's out there. But it's also because of oftentimes the lack of fruitfulness that's in here. The Lord made it very clear, speaking to those who belong to him. He's talking to his disciples that concerning fruitfulness without him, you can do nothing. Now, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Go to Galatians five. Turn to Galatians five with me and verse number 19. 
Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 19. When you come to the, the book of Galatians, as you and I are considering this thought, that without Jesus Christ, we cannot be fruitful. When you go to Galatians chapter 5, you're going to find two commodity lists here. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 19. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to just picture it this way. Picture up on stage a big, big wicker basket here, all right? And this one is going to be filled with the works of the flesh. That's the one commodity list given is works of the flesh. Then over here is going to be another basket, and it's labeled fruit of the Spirit, all right? So on one side, you have works of the flesh. On the other side, you have fruit of the Spirit, all right? And multiple items in each of those baskets. Now, let's just go put this in context. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. What is the difference between those two commodity baskets? Let me make it very simple. Works of the flesh are what you and I produce automatically, and we don't need any help from God to do this. All right? You with me? The works of the flesh are what you and I produce. The works of the flesh are what we produce. Galatians 5.19. And we don't need any help from God to do this. We're totally capable of bringing forth this crop of commodities in our own strength. But the fruit of the Spirit is what God produces through me as a believer. And to produce that on a consistent basis, I need His help. I need to abide in Him. So let's look at the list. Galatians 5, verse 19. Here we go. Galatians 5, 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which means made known. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Look at this. He nails the sexual sins first. I want to make this very clear. Do you know this morning? You do not need God's help to be a pornographer. You do that all in your own strength. You don't need the Holy Spirit a million miles from you to be an adulterer. You don't need the Holy Spirit's help to be a fornicator. Y'all with me? You can do that all in your own strength. You don't need God anywhere near you. Amen? It's a work of your flesh. It's what you produce automatically. It's your default sin setting. But it doesn't end there because somebody says, well, that's not my problem. Don't worry. Yours are coming. Look at We all got struggles. Look at this. In, in, in verse number 20, idolatry, worshiping something more than the true and living God. You say, well, I don't worship any man. Oh, yeah, you show me your checkbook. I will show you your God. Because you always spend money on your God. Amen. All gods require payment. You show me where you spend your time. I'll show you who your God is. You all with me? People in America say, oh, no, I don't worship anything. And they hook onto their yacht and they go, yeah, they got their God following behind their boat. You know, I mean, that's what they run their money into. Y'all with me? You show me your checking account. You show me your banks. You, I will show you who your God is. Who you invest in is who you worship. And most of the time, you know who the God is? Moi. Self. It's me. Idolatry. Worshipping someone or something, usually self, above the true and living God. But he goes on and says, witchcraft, hatred, <laughs> variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, 
revelings and such like. In the military, we call that Article 135. It's the catch-all. Of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? If that's what your life is consistently filled with, I don't care what label you put on you. You got a spiritual problem that's really big. If what you call light is really darkness, I don't even want to know what your darkness is. And you know those things, that list, that's a default setting for all of us. Did you ever notice that? You don't have to be trained in this. How many of you moms, Miss Jennifer, homeschooling, you know, in the morning, in, uh, let me just grab this here. Yeah, this is better. Here it is. It's Monday morning. and You got little Joanna and you say, now, Miss Joanna, little sweetheart, mommy's going to teach you a concept this week. And you need to pray for mommy because some little girls never get this concept. But mommy's going to teach you how to be selfish. And then to be a drama queen, you know, and just stir it all up and make it all about you. And you pray for mommy. Some little girls never learn how to master the art of selfishness and drama. You know, they go all the way into womanhood. They never figured out. So you pray for mommy. She can help you learn. this. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Amen. And how many of you men Monday morning say, well, son. Daddy going to teach you this week a very special concept. Some men never learn this, but you pray for Daddy because he wants to get this one put in your little heart. Daddy's going to teach you how to be a liar. And when you get caught, how to blame somebody else. Get the attention off yourself. You pray for Daddy because some little boys that grow up, they never learn how to lie. you got to be kidding me. I've never seen a homeschool class on how to lie. You with me? I've never had to sit down with my six children and teach them how to be selfish and how to be liars. You with me? It's a default setting. We come out of a church in Atlanta a few years ago, and uh, my production guy who does the, the cinematography on our video for the Corvette, he... Uh, he and his wife were coming, uh, his wife came out of nursery that morning and she was all flustered, you know. Fancy that, a woman coming out of nursery flustered. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, what's the matter? Oh, she said, my daughter. And my wife said, whoa, 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 whoa. which one? And she told her, well, what happened? She said, well, here we are. We got, it was a pretty good size. We got 25 in the nursery. And for once, they're all getting along. She said, I couldn't believe it. But my daughter, she wanted that toy over there that little Johnny had. And I said, no. And she said, no, no, right in front of everybody. She stomped on over to Johnny. And she looked at me and said, if you don't share, you're going to hell. Oh, Woo! She had all the toys. And then Christina says, where does she get that from? I felt like step forward and say, well, I met the mother. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You know, I mean, just listen, it's a default setting. It works in the flesh. It's all about me. Here just a, a month or so ago, Kevin called and he was chuckling. We have seven grand, seven grandchildren. The oldest isn't even five yet. There is five. I don't know. I can't keep track of them. And his little boy, Daniel, is three years old. He said, you'd never believe what Daniel was doing. Here's what happened. I said, what? He's running through church 
pushing every kid over that he meets. I went, oh, wonderful. Hmm. And I grab him, Kevin says, and I said, what are you doing, Daniel? And he said, I duperman. That's what he says, those three old. So Kevin said, but Daniel, Superman went around doing good things to people, not bad things. And little Daniel looks at me and said, I evil duperman. <laughs> I said, Listen, it's our default setting. It's our flesh. It's our sin nature. We don't need to be trained in these things. You with me? I thought to myself, where did he get the evil duperman thing? I, I guarantee you, Kevin didn't teach him to be an evil duperman. But the works of the flesh are there. Amen? That's our default setting. Left to yourself, that's just who you are. Amen? It's works of the flesh. You say, well, I, I don't, well, I don't like that crop. I, you know, I, I'd like to produce something else. Well, number one, you've got to get saved so you have a new resource to draw on. Amen? Because uh, apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible says you can do all things through Him. Amen? Not through you, but through Him. But then you have to abide in Him. And look at what happens and the automatic crop that's produced. I'm going to read this in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And as I read this, it quiets you. It just quiets your heart. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then he adds this. Against such, there is no law. You know what he says? There's no limit. You'll never meet the Lord one day and hear him say this. You know what my problem with you was? You were just too long-suffering. You were just too kind. He says, I put no limits on the fruit of the Spirit. Go overboard. I'll never ticket you for going too far and too fast on this one. Amen? What's your home filled with? I'm talking about here. We're a bunch of posturing people in public. I'm talking about when you're alone behind the doors of your home. That's who you really are. Could you imagine if your pastor did this? You know, every church, almost every church, you have missionaries you support. And sometimes you have a missionary of the month you pray for. Well, we're going to have a family of the month. And one church family every month is going to be the focus in prayer. But your pastor says, but you know, when we announce the family, though, we have to know how to prepare in prayer and know how to pray effectively. So sometime a week before this family is going to be prayed for, I, as your pastor, I'm going to sneak in your house and I'm going to place a recording device for three days and I'm just going to gather information on your home. On your family, how you operate, what kind of attitudes you walk through house with, what kind of words get spoken, blah, 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 blah. And then Brother Sound, Brother Max, he's going to go ahead and segment that down into a 10-minute sound bite that says, here's the family. And Sunday morning when you come, just before we dismiss, we're going to go ahead and play that recording so that everybody can find out how to pray for your family. <sighs> If we did that, would you be trying to find the tape? 
Would you be trying to erase that information? Hmm. FYI, it's already been recorded, by the way, a lot more than 72 hours. Scripture says that which is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And if we played that, what would we hear? Works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. Will Rogers once said it this way. He said, you know, every one of us, we ought to live our life in such a way that we wouldn't be afraid to lend our parrot to the town gossip. The little repeater of everything it hears, you know. You know, I don't know about you, but something I learned in my Christian life, even more so in my later years now. My wife doesn't need more works of the flesh for me. She can go out into society and find that everywhere she goes. You with me? She needs more fruit of the spirit. That's what she needs for me. You know, your family doesn't need more works of the flesh from you. They need more fruit of the spirit. Listen, you can go to your workplace and get all the works of the flesh you need. You with me? You just go out in the public arena, man. It's all over the place out there. What we need is more fruit of the Spirit. You say, Brother Dave, wow. That is what I need. How do I get that? Three little words. Say them with me. Abide in Him. See, Christian, you and I shouldn't just be satisfied to belong to Him. Oh, that's great, but that's not the end. That's just the beginning. We should desire to abide in him because of the deception out there. You will fail and fall if you don't abide in him. You will be drawn away, but also because of the lack of fruitfulness in here. But thirdly, we'll close with this. First John two and verse 28. Look at what's said there. The third reason right there in the text, I've already tapped it. He says this in verse 28. And now little children. Abide in him. Notice that third and final reason why. That when he shall appear. And Jesus is coming again. He's coming. Notice this. We may have confidence. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. There it is. There's the third and final reason that we see in scripture. Why you and I should choose to abide in him now that we belong to him. And it's this, because of the fact one day, Christian, you and I will stand before him. And we'll give an answer for how we served him. You know what scripture calls that as I close? He calls that the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord is not lost people standing before him in Revelation 20. Although that'll be a terrifying time. He's never given that label. The label, terror of the Lord, is given to Christians standing before Jesus Christ and answer for how they served Him after He saved them. Come on, tell it. I know we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing. I mean, that is a truth, by the way. But you know, before you land in heaven, you're going to stand before the King and you're going to give an account for how you served Him on earth. Maybe those tears will get wiped away. Maybe those are tears of regret. Because of rewards that were lost, we should have never lost. 
because of opportunities we missed, because of a spiritual audit of our service of stewardship where we were not as faithful a steward as we should have been. And we're going to say, why didn't I give him my best? I wish I had. And so the, the thought's pretty clear today. To abide in him, you've got to first belong to him. Amen? I say it this way. Not everybody who belongs to him is abiding in him. But everybody who is abiding in him does belong to him. First, you've got to belong to him. But then second of all, you need to abide in him. Because of the deception out there, the lack of fruitfulness in here, and the confrontation one day up there. Abide in him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.